This is the Territory Story Podcast with Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. Hello there. Welcome to you wherever you're listening. This is the Territory Story Podcast and it's a weekend. So it means it's the weekend edition or weekends with Walshy. My name is Peter Gowers. I don't want to muck around on this episode because we've got a lot to talk about. So let's get the man himself on from the NT Independent Online Newspaper, the editor, Mr. Chris Walsh. Walshy, how are you, mate? Hey, I'm good, Pete. Good to see you again this week. You too, my friend. You too. And uh, look, we talked about it in News Bites on Thursday, I think it was, but uh, there's a lot happening this week, isn't there? Yeah, which I guess, you know, it's kind of to be expected when you've got Parliament coming back for the first time in months. Um, yep. Only three days of sitting, of course, this week, but they've they've packed in a lot in those three days, Yeah, uh, including tonight. Um some yeah, well, let's get stuck into it because I always love when Parliament's on just listening to the utter crap they talk about. But oh, yeah. uh, the debates and the blow-ups have been going on deluxe this week. Yeah, they have, you know, yeah, since the, uh, you know, uh, urgent motion that we needed to cover that we talked about in the news bites the other day was, uh, of course, bringing back those grog bands in uh, remote communities and town camps and clear across the NT uh and the, the backflip there um yeah you know but uh so that that brought out some fighting for sure uh with everybody um and you know like, like i said on urgency but like i said they they broke for tea they had ceremonies and then uh went yeah. away and then they came back and there was a lot of finger pointing there was a lot of uh, name calling and blaming being thrown around you know and i i think leah finocchiaro pointed out something Today, where she said, you know, the CLP, the previous CLP government was in more than half a decade ago. And and Labor still likes to blame them, of course, the four years yeah, of the CLP yeah. that were after the 15 years of, of, course. Know, of yeah. well, the 12 years they're, of Labor. They're responsible for, for all the wires. The CLP. But I realized, like, well, she could say that they were actually elected more than 10 years ago, more than a decade ago, 2012, yeah. Yeah. 2016, and they're still blaming them for all of Labor's problems now. Um, so I'm anyway, sure yeah, still blame John Howard for some things as well, don't yeah, they? Yeah, oh, everybody's getting blamed. <laughs> uh, and the, the sad part is, yeah, again, you know, when that happens, a lot of stuff doesn't get done. And uh, responsibility, of course, surely is never, never taken by anybody either. Yeah. Uh, so, um, look, we've got those bands back, and um, we'll see what happens now and the details of all of that. It looks like there's they've rushed this. They've really rushed this. So there are a lot of holes, yeah. and uh, we'll see what the effect will be. Um, but, of course, you know, it was a backflip completely that, uh, uh, like File said, it's a race-based policy. We'll never, ever bring that in. And then she went ahead and brought it never back. In, never anywhere in the next three days will we bring that in. Yeah. Maybe in a week or so. <laughs> yeah, when well, and you know, and then and then the CLP throws that around. Well, you needed the prime minister to come in to tell you how to do your job as chief yeah. minister, and and look, that's a pretty stinging, pretty stinging uh, attack on on the government because it does look like that. It does, yeah, it really does, and and I don't know what he did or didn't do, but <laughs> yeah, well, good point. We're still trying to figure that out. What the hell? He <laughs> said he was going to give us a quarter of a billion dollars. Yeah. No, I, no details around that. We don't know what the hell's going on there. Yeah, yeah. Um, this and is coming off the back of the same government that said we've got no money, so we've got to yeah. pull down belts. 
Yeah. Well, and so he's given it to the Albanese and he's and he's basically told her you're bringing in these alcohol restrictions until you can sort out your own mess. But right now you need to do that. And then she's kind of spinning that as well. We're, we're giving them a choice. Uh, people in communities, they can vote on whether or not they opt out of this. But like that's going to be at least, I think they were saying today, three or six months down the road because they don't have anything set up to actually monitor that or any mechanisms to provide that for people right now. So it is just back to a blanket intervention era ban. Let's be honest. Yeah. Call it what yeah. it is. Yeah. And you can, uh, when you look, sort of drill down that, that's a pretty naive statement really, isn't it, from Anthony Albanese because he says, well, We'll just do this till you can figure it out. I mean, yeah, well, God knows, yeah, they ain't gonna figure it out. <laughs> no. I mean, seriously. I know at some point, like we were saying, at some point, just that that day of reckoning has to come and accountability where the government says we can't, we can no longer handle our affairs and we need assistance and uh, more so the money because, my God, we've talked about that a lot and I think we'll talk about it later. Uh, but just handing over money to this government that we've seen. I mean, they can't even handle their own financial statements properly. The Auditor General's report this week had uh, some findings about how they, they, you know, made so many mat- material errors in the Treasurer's annual financial statement that it could affect decisions in the tens of millions of dollars range because mm. they didn't know how to properly value their assets. Like, at some point, it just has to come you know the day will come where we say we need help like we and somebody's got to do that because it's just getting crazy the expenses keep going up we've seen that and the ag's report has a lot of things about public servants and that's the biggest thing and it just kept going up even when they said they were reining it in it just kept going and going even the budgeted numbers forecasted were like plateauing and the hiring the costs Mm -hmm. For wages was going mm. through the roof, like almost straight up that line yeah, yeah. between 2012. No, it was back in 2001, I think. So you're looking at, um, yeah, there was like a 20 year timeline where it just almost went directly straight up from when labor first came in. So J curve. Yeah. It's not gonna, it's not gonna be pretty here when, when we finally do have that day of reckoning because Jesus, we can't go on like this. Do you think it's going to come, though, Chris? I mean, we we spoke to um, yeah. Kevin Rudd and we spoke to Malcolm Turnbull, and you know, we spoke to some uh, pretty high profile economists about it. And for some reason, there's just a there seems to be a reluctance to to intervene or even offer assistance. I mean, you're talking yeah. about debt that is the responsibility of the Commonwealth, and mm-hmm. yet. And let's be honest, and I'm not just blaming Labor for this, but there's there's been really no accountability for it over the decades, and yet the the federal response is, well, here you go, take some money and spend it wisely, okay? Yeah, but look, and, and that and those people that you talk to and the economists and stuff, remember that you're kind of phrasing that around the economy and should there be an intervention then i'm saying that the intervention is going to come when it's complete lawlessness that they reckoning is going to come when it's clear that they've allowed the situation to get so bad that you've got people with guns in their homes people getting shot in the street i mean you know i'm I'm, I'm not trying to be dark about it it's not what you want but you can see that yeah you can see mm -hmm. where this is people don't feel safe right now and then people don't act with the clearest mind when they're frightened and yeah and labor's let this happen and of course it does have to do it goes back to economic reasons but even more so than that you're looking at those social issues and how do you address 
that indigenous disadvantage, um, clearly throwing money at it does not work. There's got to be it other doesn't. ways, and and we're not getting those solutions right now, and and we just seem further and further away. So w- from the solution, so what does that mean? It means that we're closer and closer to getting to this breaking point where yeah. things are not going to be good for for anybody. Uh, an old radio friend of mine once said it was probably one of the wisest things I've ever heard someone say, and he said, "You know what." Nervous people do nervous things. <laughs> no, I reckon yeah, that's, that's what true. you're basically saying. Yeah, and we got to get out of that. We got to fix that. Um, so let's see what yeah. happens here now. But we'll be watching, and, and it doesn't look good. But um, you know, we got to remain optimistic. But it's just going to take everybody. It's going to take everybody coming together and doing this, so, and and get yeah, rid of the it, politics of it. Yeah, it seems like we're a long way off that stage at this point. Mm. But Chris, um, I know there is some. Breaking news you want to talk about because yeah. uh, things went a little bit crackpotty in uh, Parliament tonight. Well, they did, and and you know that it starts going crackpotty when uh, when Kezia Purick gets up and starts saying that she's the champion <laughs> of integrity in the Northern Territory, right? So this is this captures. You knew my something attention. was up there, did you? Yeah, yeah. I, I saw that earlier in the day. She had uh, said something, um, um, a motion of, of a matter of public importance that she wanted to debate. Uh, I can't remember what she said, something crazy, like urgent amendments to the ICAC Act, given serious issues with the ICAC. Wow. And it's like, oh, my God, okay, well, here the we government, go. Government said, time for tea, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's just so rich for Kesey Purick to be the one saying that the ICAC Act needs to change when she's the one who was found to have engaged in corrupt conduct and forced to resign. Oh, yeah, and lied about it the whole time, too. Let's not forget that. Also, this woman... And I just remind everybody, this woman also, when she was under investigation as the speaker, when she was under investigation by the ICAC and knew she was, mm-hmm. she tried to get Parliament to strike an ICAC committee that she then wanted to chair because she knew she was under investigation. Like, I'm not making this up. This totally yeah, yeah, happened yeah. about yeah. Th- three years ago now. Um, yeah. So... It, it is just so crazy. Anyway, so she gets up and she's uh, rambling on here about how whistleblowers have come to her. Like, If you're a whistleblower, why the hell are you going to the person who was found to have engaged in corrupt conduct? That, like, this is a whole new NT thing. I know sometimes there are no rules here with NT politics, but that is just crazy. That's just crazy that anybody, well, you know who I'm going to complain about the ICAC, who take my secrets to the woman who was found guilty of corrupt conduct. And, you know, the, the thing is, and maybe she's fooled people because she said it again tonight. She said, and, you know, I took the ICAC to court and we had an out-of-court settlement. Well, Kizia, I would like to know the details of that because I, I'm calling bullshit, right? And I've said this <laughs> before because her report is still up. It's the only report that's still up by the ICAC. There's been others removed, hasn't there? Yeah, for, for screw-ups and yeah. stuff. That one was yeah. not screwed up. It's still there, and I know that, and I'm, and I'm, and I've just heard rumors that she's told people she got like half a million if she kept it up. If she agreed uh-huh. that they could keep it up, they'd give her half a million dollars because that makes sense. And that's How not much corruption. Took it down? And yeah, three hundred or something. <laughs> like, but that's not corruption right. in the ICAC. Like that is straight out corruption in the ICAC if they're doing that. Um, anyway, look, that that's just. So we're not accusing them of that, right? Well, but here's what happens. So gets up and it's, you know, you can laugh this off and it's just, okay, so what exactly, what amendments to the act are you proposing, Kezia? Well, she's yeah. not sure. She, just, just stuff has to happen here because no one trusts them anymore. And I'm just saying no one trusts them. And she gets into that again. 
So, okay. And then, um, you know, Leo Finocchiaro got up and she made a little more sense. And she said, look, you guys are, uh, to the labor to files government, you know, you guys are compromising the integrity of the ICAC by this. And Kiza did touch on it. The uh, Shanahan report, as it's called, was announced like two years ago that uh, Gunner brought in Greg Shanahan, longtime public servant, worked in the Department of Justice for a while, uh, to do a review of the ICAC Act. Now, we, that's all been done behind closed doors. So we don't know who, who has given submissions to this. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that there was a preliminary kind of statement put out on it. Here's some of the things that we're talking about. I don't think it was all. And it surely didn't say that, like, senior public servants are telling this guy, we don't want the ICAC to be able to investigate us. Because let's not forget that even the MLAs tried to do that. When the act was first being established, they tried to make it so that they couldn't look at politicians, the ICAC, which is like almost the whole purpose of it, a large purpose of it anyway. Um, so as Leif Nockero pointed out tonight, uh, you know, you're compromising the integrity by not showing territorians what is in this review, how what the terms of reference are, how you're going about doing this, what we're actually looking at. It does appear that there's an agenda from the government to make changes to the ICAC Act for reasons that they haven't explained yet. And and that does get troubling. And I thought Leah made a very good point on that. Um, you then had Nicole Madison get up and she said, uh, everything's great. He was looking at whistleblowing. She actually said one of the things. That, and then, But then she said the, the commissioner somehow knew that already and that's why he's doing the icac's doing this review into whistleblowing remember he started doing this and yeah so we're yeah we're not clear on that because like i actually talked to whistleblowers who i know are frustrated that they just feel like they're going to be persecuted if they come forward with things and he's not done anything his office has uh, given up whistleblowers before so all of this goes on and they're thinking i think most of them just wanted to get home at this point it's getting late uh, then Mark Turner, the exiled labor MLA, Mark Turner gets up. Yep. And, Still uh, exile, is he? I guess. So he says, he starts talking about the Bella Mac Holmes issue. Yep. <laughs> and what he says is just shocking here, really. I mean, this is huge and we're, we're looking into this more here and we'll have a story up about this because it just happened like an hour ago here. Uh, and I haven't had a chance to write it. Um, so he's talking about a whistleblower coming forward about the Bell and Mac Holmes. And just to remind people, uh, there was this affordable housing program many years ago. They built these homes. They weren't built properly. They're rusting out. The roof falling in on them. Um, just terrible things going on there. These people had paid a lot of money for them. Like when we say affordable housing, it was so that they could afford it with a mortgage and everything but we're still talking hundreds of thousands of dollars that they paid for these homes yeah uh so you know and then the government finds out right we broke the story a year ago or more that that there's an engineering report that shows that these homes are a danger not just in a cyclone but in a thunder and lightning storm just your regular run-of-the-mill weekend right. storm yeah. here six months of the year yeah monsoon coming through trough uh the winds could pick up look it's 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 so dangerous for them and it's said that there's a risk of life here and the government right. hasn't done anything now it took them a long time and they finally did they they took down some um some of the houses have been demolished uh but some of them are still there and for whatever reason they're still there and people are still living in them and people who who are 
told, well, that the government was told those people are at risk of losing their lives in the event of a, of a thunderstorm. So, and that if they were going to fix it, they had to put netting all around it, but basically it needed to be demolished and the government has still not done that. So there's serious questions. This just keeps going on and on. And I remember ABC and then Matt Cunningham and Sky News was doing something just before Christmas on this. So Turner gets up because they're talking about the ICAC. Now he talks about a whistleblower uh, that came forward here. And I'm just reading notes from, from what happened here just an hour ago. Uh he says that a whistleblower has come to him, said they'd gone to police, went to the commissioner, I think it says here, uh, was eventually transferred to talking to a senior police officer, continued uh, talking to the officer, carried on while asking what was happening. Senior uh, police officer allegedly kept telling uh, the, uh, the whistleblower that they didn't want to know the details and they needed to talk to someone else. The police saying they didn't want to know the details. Right. Uh, another senior police officer and Turner says, this is the kicker, allegedly told the whistleblower, words to the effect that the government has come up with this stupid, cheap housing scheme to help poor people. What do you expect you're going to get? Cheap housing for poor people. Wow. That's official statement, is it? He's saying that this is what a whistleblower was told by a senior police officer who wasn't taking action on this. Uh, And he says, while not the attitude you'd expect from the police, nonetheless, he says the whistleblower continues to attempt to get something done. Uh, They report that they referred it to the ICAC. Okay, so went to the ICAC after hoping the ICAC would, would take action. And this is where it gets murky. Uh, Turner told Parliament under privilege tonight. He mm. said it appears that they don't have the resources. It seems it doesn't have the deployable investigators. He said, given the number of investigators that, that are required and the levels of corruption that's being alleged, it would make sense. Uh, if Riches is only taken on the jobs, he can manage. The office needs quality, not quantity. Trust is imperative. He did, after all, indicate at estimates uh, the impact of budget reductions would have on this. Um, but he says, uh, and then he says, Turner says, why I need to talk about this? It's, he said, it gets even more complex. This is why I need to talk about it in this place. Although I'm sure I will cop criticism, but he's, you know, they're clearly saying that he's enacting parliamentary privilege for what he's going to say. Yeah. He said, after the whistleblower had gone up and down the rank structure of the anti-police Remembering that this had happened over an extended period of time, they reported to various ranks all the way to emailing the commissioner of police. They say they were told by a senior police officer when lamenting the lack of action on this and why these people are still in these homes and the government hasn't done anything. Senior officer said, uh, and given the risk to people, if Chalker walks in there, meaning the office of the ICAC, uh, and then... Turner kind of stopped and he said that he had to use parliamentary language. He said, I'll call it an appendage. Drops on top of the ICAC's desk when then something's going to change dramatically. Or words to that effect. Uh, and he said, now ignore the uncouth language. But, uh, well, I'm not going to. Just a second there. I don't know what he's saying. That was it parliamentary. Seems, <laughs> yeah, it seems to me that he's saying that um, that the ICAC uh, can be influenced here by Chalker. The Chalker has some, like, this is pretty explosive stuff. Uh, and he says, imagine how that feels for a whistleblower. Uh, this isn't something people deal with in their everyday life. 
a huge thing to be a whistleblower as huge as going to the member of the to a member of the legislative assembly because you don't know what to do next and you think our communities are at risk so he says i cannot refer to this to the icac for the whistleblower they're worried the icac is compromised and to be fair um yeah there's naturally at least in this case matters and associated claims arising from that that um he doesn't know where to go with uh turner saying you know it's yeah oh and then sorry and then he's cut off at that point right by the speaker yeah Mark monahan who cuts him off to say well you you know and this is clearly a warning to turner that he's getting into some things here that labor doesn't want him to get into but he's yeah. exercising parliamentary privilege and saying this so he's saying that there's issues with the icac he's saying that he supports the icac of course and the idea and the position of that but um, I think some of those those lines, I'm just going to go through that a little bit more and break it down when I write a story. But yeah, uh, yeah look, he, he seems to be saying that a, a senior police officer is told a whistleblower that um, that the, the ICAC can be compromised, that the police commissioner uh, can exert pressure, let's say, on the ICAC and things change. Also, just explosive for comments that, uh, look, this is a bunch of poor people cheap yeah. housing um and why they're not investigating it so anyway there's going to be a lot more on that i'm sure but next week we'll be talking about it again i bet there is and when you wrote an article uh not that long ago that uh, uh mr turner featured as the star of i bet you wouldn't have thought some year or so later hmm. that uh, he'd be <laughs> the uh comeback kid with uh, <laughs> leading this sort of thing. Well, look, yeah, I think that that's just what we see here is that uh, this guy does seem to be pretty committed to his constituents. Of course, Belmack is in his electorate here. Yeah. And uh, we know it drives around to rest in the bad guys at night and lunatics who are dousing themselves with petrol. <laughs> that story was crazy. Yeah. And he took <laughs> that guy down. But uh, mm-hmm. um, yeah, look, I think that uh, him being a former cop, I think he kind of, he, he he knows some of these things. Yeah. He knows some of the players involved. And so I think it carries a bit of weight when he says it. And uh, in that sense, and I think that um, we're, we're getting to see Turner here. Uh, clearly, he's pissing off the Labor Party and kind of moving yeah. on his own. But look, that's what happens here. You know, you got to stand up for what's right sometimes. And uh, it, despite the consequences, and we saw that today as well, what happens when good people do the right thing, they still get mm. screwed. But yeah, look, we all need to know this. We all need to be talking about this kind of stuff going on, this kind of corruption and uh, and how we fix that. And yep. we all got to stick together on that. Yeah, and I think in Mark Turner's case, it seems that, you know, given that he is a former police officer, you can see the things that he's very passionate about and he's really zeroing in on. And, uh, you know, hopefully that's for the betterment of everyone. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so we'll see what happens here. Yeah, look, let's move to the next story um, regarding the Labor Party and and, uh, their move to support the federal Indigenous voice in the NT Parliament. Yeah, uh, while the CLP opts to abstain. <laughs> oh, it's your classic witch politics here, right? I mean, yeah. they, they, they're trying to force the CLP's hand here. The CLP and Leah Finocchiaro not wanting to uh, say whether they supported uh, the, the voice to parliament federally. Uh, so Files takes the opportunity today to put forward the motion calling for all 
of anti-parliament to support it. Uh, this came on the heels, and you see how these things kind of work sometimes, came on the heels of Sky News's report that at least three branches of the CLP were telling the party not to support it. Right. Now, of course, high-profile senator, uh, CLP senator Jacinta Price, who sits with the Nats in Canberra, she's come out against it. She's convinced the Nationals not to support Right. Uh, the voice. So Labour saw that as an opportunity here to um, drive that wedge in and see if they couldn't split everybody on this today. Yeah. And uh, look, the CLP was kind of forced just before that or as that was happening. Yeah, as that motion was happening this morning, we got a press release statement from the CLP. Uh, so kind of forced to issue that clarifying its position, or as we say in this case, its non-position. And that's basically what they said. The CLP opposition believes very strongly that a voice to parliament is not for politicians to decide, but for the people. The statement said, and it is interesting that it wasn't attributed to Leo Fanacchiaro, the leader of the party. It's just a statement from the party. Um, This is not a decision for any parliament. It is for the Australian people. And that is why later this year, every single territory, including us, will have one vote. The CLP opposition's position remains the same as it always has been, which is that we are open to the benefits a voice can bring to Territorians. We do not oppose a voice, and as a result, we will be abstaining from a vote on this motion and look forward to voting in the referendum later this year, along with every other Territorian. Well, how are you going to vote in the referendum? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah. This That's is, right. She's going to go vote, but we don't know. Give us some insight. Um, yeah, so look, this comes to, as uh, Jacinda Price had told ABC uh, last week, that she expected that the CLP would oppose it. Uh, Fanaki are those still saying that they, they're open to it. We want the federal government to come to the territory and sit down with territorians and explain what the voice is and how it will make our lives better to date. There has been no engagement with people living in our communities. Uh, we want every Territorian to be fully informed on what the advantages and disadvantages of the voice are before they vote in the referendum later this year. Uh, so now the branches had said a couple of things here. I think some of the main points were that they opposed the voice in part because they say the voice, quote, will not fix Aboriginal people's health issues, poverty issues, housing and alcohol issues. Um, yeah, that's going to take decisive work on the government's part, uh, that it, it, uh, there are oh that there are enough uh, corporations, regional councils, and land councils for Aboriginal people to raise issues and concerns, and that it has a potential impact. They're saying quote potential impact on the supremacy of our democratically selected parliament. So, right, yeah, you gotta be careful throwing that one around supremacy uh, word, uh, during during the debate. So look, so this happened kind of this morning, and they're wedging. Um, the CLP in this, but then you've got other people coming up in Parliament talking about it. Now, one of the people that I don't think they were counting on was, of course, Yengi Aguila, yeah. independent from Malka, and he said uh, that he, too, wanted more information from the federal government about the proposal and how it would work. He said, Indigenous people understand what a treaty is and how that would function, but, quote, we do not know what the voice is and how it fits in this space and the process. So lots more work needs to be done to include First Nations people in this process. He said, I believe that the voice to Parliament by itself is not enough. Uh, yeah, Labour members uh, then got up and spoke about their support. 
uh, saying that it would improve outcomes for Aboriginal Territorians. Deputy Chief Minister Nicole Manison calling on the CLP to, quote, be on the right side of history uh, by not abstaining from the vote in Parliament. Robin Lamley uh, got up and said Labour was playing politics with their motion in order to force other politicians' hands on whether they support the voice. She said, I don't want this to be shoved down my throat from a couple of mindless politicians on the other side. I want to take time to talk to people about what they think, she said. I will not be preached to by a government that has failed Indigenous people in recent times. Isn't this a race-based policy, she said. Uh, yeah. God bless Robin Lamley's existence. <laughs> she, she knows how to put it and just so succinctly and sum things up well. Yeah, well, and then she said something about them backslapping each other and giggling because they thought, like, yeah, we're so high and mighty here. And, you know, it's just that's how they come across at times. I mean, they don't listen to Guila in the parliament. Mm. And I'm thinking of Selena Yubo and Chancey yeah. Pig, two indigenous labor politicians. They don't they don't show respect to a guy like Guilo, who's there representing his people. They just, they don't, they mock him, they don't listen, and uh, and then they get up and they talk about this as if they're doing something great for Indigenous people, and they're yeah. not. These guys, Robin's exactly right when she says, I won't be preached to by a government that has failed Indigenous people in recent times. I mean, you look at the issues in Central Australia and how that's all gone down, but she's also talking about treaty there. Remember just before yeah. Christmas, like the day before Christmas, they came out and said, hey, we're scrapping the whole treaty commissioner position. Uh, we'll do it when we're ready and, and we're going to do something about that. So, yeah, and that, that Guila was not happy about that. He's saying that it showed that they aren't committed to treaty uh, and yeah, just putting it off here. And so he's saying now, too, I want more information about this. And not just because especially territory labor is telling us it's a good thing. Yeah, um, They want more information. So, look, this is up to Albanese and the feds, but they're going to have to... Um, have to get out there and, and provide more information to people. It's quite clear. It's certainly how I feel. Um, yeah, you know, you, you hear it probably talked about every day, mm. but what it actually is and what it represents, I'm not too sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's a group of high-profile people who are against it. There's a group of people who are for it. Yeah, but, exactly. yeah I mean, what what they're actually proposing is – a little bit of a mystery at this stage. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, and we think fundamentally, fundamentally, it's a good idea in the sense that um, they're going to be listening to what Indigenous people tell them in terms of policy, right? But yeah, there's a lot of uh, specifics in there that we don't know details on who exactly, who's going to be at the table representing these views. It's hard to get a consensus yeah. on uh, what people want and in different areas would be different things. So um, I think. I think the marketing of it's off as well. Like they call yeah. it the voice, but really it should be called the ear because they're listening. Yeah, the government's listening. Yeah, <laughs> but the indigenous people have the yeah. voice. Yeah, they're the ones speaking. Not. Anyway, <laughs> so here we go. Who's whose head is the box on? I don't exactly. know. Are the bucket shouldn't be on our head. I don't. Know. That's right. <laughs> Look, let's move to the next story because um, the uh, files government have covered themselves in glory with this one. Uh, as they shut down an inquiry into how they intend to spend federal money in the bush. Yeah, look, yeah, one of my favorite topics here. Uh, <laughs> and you remember the analysis from a little from a few weeks ago here about how I this do. has been going on, the misspending of it has just gone on for way too long. Uh, and so calls now from the CLP, and I've said this before, but the CLP were in power, and if they were in power right now, they would not want this either. 
because yeah. this is how the Northern Territory functions, right? Is that yeah. you get the money from the feds, you call it in federal indigenous disadvantage money, and maybe it's closing the gap money, maybe it's remote housing money, maybe it's for social services, and instead you just spend it wherever the hell you can get the most votes. And that's what we've seen for so long. And I'm just reminded about Kenny Vowles when he was kicked out of cabinet, uh, being the Indigenous Affairs Minister at the time and saying, yeah, we're going to go to Canberra now that we've financially screwed this place, try and get more money cap in hand and say, well, we've got to support the Indigenous people, get the money and then go build a new water park. Or as we see now, a museum, an art gallery down in the city. So uh, so look, though, the, the, the CLP had uh, put forward a motion here on Wednesday to uh, establish an inquiry, a parliamentary kind of committee that would would investigate how exactly the NT government spends that federal money on Indigenous disadvantage. Uh, now, they, of course, cited concerns about the recent uh, pledged cash boost of $250 million from the feds for Central Australia uh, and exactly where that's going to go. But um, uh, CLP member for Barclay, Steve Edgington, brought forward this motion. Uh, and what he was saying was he said that he said, look, the, the, the labor government is spending in the NT. What he said was about a billion dollars of federal funding every year just in central Australia, including his electorate Barclay. Uh, he said, we have no transparency over how that money is spent by the territory government. We need an immediate audit of all government spending in central Australia to figure out how much has been spent and where. What is working and what is not working? Until we do that, any additional spending will just be wasted by the files labor government. Uh, I think he's got a point there. That's what we've been saying. We do need to see this. He's got a great point, but it's not just for the current government. So yeah. one day they will be back in government. Yeah. And well, they should continue under their reign as well. Yeah, well, then let's maybe get these processes in place because there does need to be more oversight. And we saw how right. they... There's, there's a little bit of oversight, right? Like I told you about the trick that they do with the, well, 95% of the incarcerated Territorians are Indigenous, therefore 95% of corrections budget is Indigenous money. Like that's yeah. the kind of stuff. We need somebody to be in charge of actually overseeing this. And yeah, the NT doesn't want it because they want to use that money elsewhere. But like Edgington said in Central Australia alone, he said there's the, you know, you look at this, the Indigenous disadvantaged problems but and the spending, but there's no declared outcomes no KPIs or accountability that Territorians would expect with such huge expenditure. If some programs don't work, he said, the money should be shifted in programs that do. We know from closing the gap report that the government's current programs aren't working, the gap's getting wider. Throwing another $250 million at the problem with no accountability would be a reckless use of taxpayer money. So, mm. yeah, so uh, Selena Yubo had come up to respond to this. I don't know, she's Aboriginal affairs minister here in the NT, but I don't know that she knows where any where even $10 of that money's going. But she said there was no need for the select committee that was proposed because the figures are, quote, publicly available. If you want to go, like, you know, like, they have been, but you got to go combing through this stuff. And they actually hide it. Like, it was the Yathu Yendi Foundation who started following the money years ago. Yeah. And it is so hard to do. They had like professional accountants do this stuff. Like yeah. who but didn't even like didn't even get paid in the end. They had to do it on their own time because it was so time consuming to find this. And they but they did track it anyway. She says that any investigation would be a hindrance. 
the existence of such an inquiry would be a hindrance rather than moving the territory forward, she said, because being right. accountable is now a hindrance for the yes. Files government. And moving it backwards. Uh, the concerns raised by this motion have already got mechanisms in place to address what is being raised. Not really. Not really. You've got to go and dig yourself and, and find this. I guess if... Uh, I guess they could send maybe the Auditor General in on something in MLA at the, their request. She could investigate, but uh, yeah, I mean that that would you need to know. You'd have to have a breakdown. You need to know where to start, and nobody really knows how to, where to start. It's just so much stuff. It's just yeah. hidden in those big books and the five big books of budget papers, yeah. um, and probably elsewhere. It's probably uh, through different agencies. I mean, it'd just be a mess to get through, but they should set something like that up. So at least we get it cleaned up now for moving forward. And like you said, and then the CLP have to be holding to it too, because look, we've gone through everything. We've kept this clean, but it's yeah. to the advantage of any sitting government here to, uh, to keep that murky, to, to not know where that money's going so they can use it for whatever, you know, to, a, a stupid amphibious aircraft. Let's give them money. Let's take it out of this. And there are ways to get $12 million for a grandstand. That is a great example of, remember that money? We didn't know where the hell that came from. It wasn't even budgeted. It was just $12 million. They took it out of some poor people's hands in Central Australia and built a... Yeah. It's crazy. It's just on the amphibious aircraft. I mean... <laughs> I, wouldn't have brought, I wouldn't have brought it up again, Chris, had you not introduced it but i still remember that sad sack of a thing yeah being carted up on the back of a truck it can't even fly <laughs> i know and we gave them what 12 million bucks or something for that 10 million that's um, a magic number 12 million yeah oh it's crazy we have photos from like this is what a, the original thing looked like in 1967 it was painted with like japanese flag on it like the japanese owned it for a while and it's yeah. that piece of junk, and they're bringing it up here. And this is the future. I think that's how we had it. The future of the territory's $40 billion economy was loaded onto yeah. a truck in pieces in Victoria. It's a plan that got trucked up to the territory. Oh, in pieces. Just like the $40 yeah. billion dollar economy is right now in pieces. Correct. Being amphibious, had they driven it up in the sea, I would have been impressed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Something fun like that, but no. Um, and then the guy, and then the little guy got on the radio and he said, uh, he said, oh, yeah, yeah, big Hollywood celebrities coming to buy it. George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, the entire cast of Ocean, Ocean's Eleven, they're coming to buy this thing. It's like, and they believe them, and they're like, "Really? Whoa! Tell us more." <laughs> oh yeah, Hollywood loves this thing. It's like, man, you're so full of shit. No one's calling them on it. Mm. Anyway, we are looking at that more again. Of course, remember we had that yep. candidate who was deeply involved in that, and your buddy Andy Cowan, who just resigned suddenly out of nowhere. He was heavily involved in that, so we're still looking at all that a little bit more. Sounds good. Look, um, we should move on to the next story because um, this is a bit of a shock, really, when, when I read this and I know that people are talking about it. Um, a senior officer, has a police officer, has been terminated for simply criticizing Jamie Chalker's leadership. Tell us about this. This is uh, – it's upsetting. It's upsetting, to be honest, Pete. Like uh, – this is a good guy. Mark Casey is like, you talk to anybody in the NT and the police, especially who know him. That's all they can say is good things about this guy. 25 years. His father was in the force before him. Um, a committed officer by all accounts. 
you know, yeah, you just you talk to this guy and you get the sense of the calm and the professionalism that you want all anti-police officers to be like. Kind of reminds me of an uncle of mine who's in the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, just very calm yeah. and measured. That's what you want in a cop. And you just and he's just the way he talks is steady and and you just you automatically respect the guy like that. That's that's who Mark Casey is. And I, I just I couldn't believe it this morning when I found out that he he was just sacked this morning, just outright sacked by the executive for criticizing, for daring to, to voice the opinion of eighty percent of anti police officers, if not more now, uh, who 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 have no confidence in Jamie Chalker's leadership. Now, what Casey had done was last May, you probably remember, he wrote an opinion piece for us because he knew that he could get his point across through the NT Independent. Um, we agreed to run that for him. I talked to him at the time and, and made sure that he knew the risks associated with that, that. And he did. I didn't need to tell him that. But he said, you know, he said, like, you know, we've I've got to stand up and I've got to say and I've got to do this because if everybody's quiet, then nothing's going to change. And he just said this 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 police executive and Jamie Chalker do not have the integrity to lead. We've seen that in how they've ran, handled the, the, the Rolf case. And we're still finding out new stuff, new depths of of issues and uh, allegations there of what's going on. Um, and he said, you know, and he said today uh, that. Well, you know, and so he 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 just said he needed to uh, he needed to voice that. He said that he had gone through, and so they said, "Well, you breached the code of conduct." And he said, "Well, I don't think that I breached the code of conduct because the code of conduct tells us that when we see things happening that shouldn't be happening, that we speak out about it." And he said, "I tried to do it through the uh, normal processes, uh, through the the established processes in the anti police." And he said, "I was suspended for that, or he was disciplined." for that and this is years ago uh a couple years ago he saw something he said something instead of it being addressed this man of integrity this officer of integrity was was uh, disciplined so this yeah. time when he saw integrity breaches lapse of what he called the core values of the anti-police that he would know considering his father he grew up with his father being an officer here uh he's put in 25 years himself when when he saw that he felt the obligation to say something he he did he did it through the NT Independent through an opinion piece that was widely read everybody read that and everybody was talking about that and the courage of this man to come and do it and say that and say what everybody was thinking right now he was one of the first to say we need a no confidence vote on Jocker here when this finally happens months later well we see that that eighty percent of those responded said that they had no confidence in Chalker to continue in the role. And that the largest reason listed was his handling of the of the constable role of murder charge. Uh, yeah, so I, I I thought that he was going to be reinstated after that because basically they couldn't say that he had that it was malicious in any way or that it was untrue because now 80% of people of, of his colleagues police officers backed what he was saying that they didn't have any confidence in him. Right. Mm. So, uh, he was just reflecting what the majority of his colleagues were, were saying at the time and thinking now just to get in. And so then he just gets this letter this morning and now, so he's been suspended at first without pay. Now they got, yeah. they had guys up on, on rape charges that were getting paid 
right? Yeah. We've seen that before, and this guy's not getting so. At least they reinstated his pay, but for ten months, nearly ten months, he's been not at work. He's been sitting home suspended, uh, and then he gets a letter this morning on Thursday saying, um, "That's it, you're dismissed." I've assessed this, so I, I did. I called him. We spoke. Uh, he he said that he was shocked about this. He said. He told us uh, this morning that he was in shock about being terminated and found it ironic that he would be the one sacked for not upholding police standards. <laughs> he said yeah. it's, it's retribution and continued persecution for sharing what others were thinking. He said, I've spoken to literally hundreds of people, civilians, police officers, ex-police officers, and everyone has said it took a lot of courage to speak out about the lack of integrity and applauded me for my actions. I believe I was upholding the standards. Whilst I acknowledge that I breached some general orders, it was for the higher cause of public confidence in the police. Yeah. Now, he added that, yeah, the code of ethics, as I said, when he wrote the opinion piece, he was following that because he is required to raise issues of integrity and misconduct when it's presented. He said, yeah, he was suspended or he was uh, disciplined last time that happened. So that was the only way to expose that, he said. Uh yeah, so he said, and then, you know, I just talked to him a bit more about that. And, you know, what 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 does this mean for you now? And he said, well, I said, you're going to fight this with the union. You got a lawyer. The union's got to give you a lawyer and you're going to fight this, right? And he said, well, he said, yeah, look, he said, the union's been good. He said, uh, but that he's informed that these kind of matters take up to two years or more to get resolved. And right yeah. now he doesn't have a job. He's fired effective today. Yeah. Uh, so then the pay's gone. That's it. He said, I've got a mortgage and a family to support. He said, I've got some decisions that need to be made in the short term. It's very devastating. He said, I was thinking last night of what they could do that would cause the most psychological impact. This would be it, he said, and it is probably the action they would take, and it seems to be the method they operate under. Wow. Um, why the delay, Chris? Why, why such a delay? Well, they've got to look at the at the issue, I guess, and they're going to take a long time. It is interesting, the timing, I think. I think the yeah. timing's very interesting considering what's just con gone on with uh, Chalker and these allegations and what we've been able to reveal this yeah. week. Like I, I kind of just took it and I told Mark that, like, that this is an attack on the anti-independent as well here, that they're trying to get somebody who wrote an opinion piece for us. And, and show everybody, well, that's what happens if you talk to the anti-independent. And, mm. you know, he just can't get away with this. But, um, yeah, look, and just the other things here. So there are people who are charged officers with uh, very serious crimes. This is not a crime. Uh, yeah. Charged with very serious crimes. They're offered the, uh, the option of resigning. And Mark Casey wasn't given that. And uh, according to the dismissal letter, uh, there were three breaches that they had quote unquote charged them with. Charged anyway. discipline, three breaches of discipline for the opinion piece. And that acting superintendent Sonia Kennan, who was involved in the Rolf criminal investigation, had pursued the matter because she was, quote, not satisfied with the explanation provided by Casey. Right. Now that's interesting because he's talking about the Rolf investigation and how they handled it. So now they have somebody reviewing his disciplinary uh quote-unquote breaches and it's somebody who was involved in the investigation to Rolf who probably didn't like yeah. the criticism of it yeah. and that was like when I read that I was like wait I know that name because I've been reading all these reports again recently 
And yeah. so I went back and checked. She was intimately involved in the role of criminal investigation. He criticized that. And then professional standards put her at one point in charge of investigating because she didn't like his response, which I'm guessing his response was, well, 80% of cops <laughs> don't like jogger and have no confidence. And that's what his I said. Response, his response was facts. <laughs> well, and that's it. And he, and he did say something that's not in this. It'll be in something else. Um, he did say something, Mark did, about how uh, it's a true measure of a man's character of how many truths he can handle. Yeah. And it seems that Jamie Chalker, and especially this week with, with the other stuff we were doing, he gets to a point where he can't handle those kind of truths. We're out of truths. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we got a bunch more, and it's coming for him, whether he likes it or not, Chalker. But, um, yeah, so, yeah, issues of public interest, they look at maintenance of public confidence in the police force, maintaining the need for proper standards of conduct, including to ensure the confidence of junior members, the senior officers uphold and exemplify those standards. Bruce Porter, head of professional standards, wrote in the dismissal letter. Now, he also claimed that Sergeant Casey showed no remorse. <laughs> as if he would uh, and that yeah. he did not apologize for his opinion you know, yeah. no remorse <laughs> for your opinion god yeah. damn it yeah. uh, he showed no remorse and that he did not apologize for spreading and this is great spreading misinformation oh what was the misinformation <laughs> I don't know because it was all backed up by the survey the cops had no confidence in Jocker uh, so no he was confidence. popular he actually was yeah. popular until the story was written <laughs> yeah no, so uh, adding again to Porter did that uh, the Casey contributed harm to the morale of members. So, see, it was Casey who brought the uh, low morale here, and very low morale. It wasn't Chalker, it was Mark Casey. Yeah. Uh, and then he attracted, quote, significant negative media attention with his opinion piece. Oh, did he? Yeah, well, I mean, but Chalker does every day. Every day that Chalker opens his mouth, there's significant negative media attention. <laughs> But what was the negative media attention that that got? Because it was in the NT Independent, but did other media outlets speak yeah, out negatively? Yeah, ABC. Well, ABC reported on that. I believe and the Australian did. I'm not sure if the NT News did, but yeah, other media jumped uh, on okay. it. So I guess they saw that as being negative. Although, again, uh, it's just the truth. But it's negative for Chalker's interest, right? Anything that doesn't align yeah, with Chalker's yeah. interest is negative. I see what you mean, yeah. So, uh, yeah, and then that. Um, I just... Yeah, and then we, we, we mentioned that at the end here because uh, there's another survey. You want to yeah talk about that? I thought we should, yes, yeah. because, uh, I mean, it works out beautifully in a way, not not so much for Mark Casey, but uh, according to uh, one of the – or the NT Police Union, uh, now 84% of NT Police officers have already considered what's being called an exit strategy. Yeah, these these numbers have come out. Uh, they're, I think, how did uh, Paul McHugh put it? Disastrous. Yeah. For the government. Uh, now, like we said here, it's clear that the uh, ongoing talks for a new pay deal have broken down. And uh, so Paul Seems McHugh, like yeah, the union president had sent around kind of an update to members. Uh, we saw that. It, what he did, he revealed some preliminary findings of the latest member survey. Now, that's just a five-question quick quick thing, right? 
And it doesn't say anything about just a uh, quick Friday quiz. Yeah, it doesn't say anything about chalk or probably some of the bigger issues there, like the, the mental health and wellness stuff that they still haven't implemented properly. Um, uh, yeah. So anyway, what what is found was the yeah eighty four percent. Now this is about eight hundred, nearly eight hundred members taken part. This was only in a couple of days, so they were yeah. expecting to to get somewhere uh, of where. Uh, 800 members who had taken part in the survey uh, showed that 84% of them had considered a, a, quote, exit strategy from the anti-police force in the last 6 to 12 months. The survey, uh, which is still open to February 22nd, so expect more numbers there, because it's just preliminary, also found that 84% supported a work-to-rule approach being taken at work, and that 97% of officers don't believe there are enough officers in the NT to do the job expected of them. The survey also found that 76% had rated morale as low or very low, and uh, 96% said they did not feel supported by the government. Uh, and now, of course, yeah, and you think that's going to happen while they're still going on. I mean, they, they, I think they've been well over a year without a, uh, an EBA in place. And the talks, like I said, just seem to have broken down here. Uh, he said in his update on Tuesday, that the Public Employment Commissioner Vicky Telford, quote, failed to provide a formal offer that we would consider suitable or appropriate in the current economic climate to put to members. Uh, it seemed like it was a last-ditch Monday meeting. You got the tone of that, that it was a last-ditch yes. thing, and they're not moving from whatever it is. Now, I imagine that it's not the 2% now, yep. but I, I don't know what's on the table at this point. We just don't know. Uh, but he, yeah, and then he wanted to reveal this. He said, uh, what's quite clear is that you have had enough talking to the members. You clearly do not feel supported by the current government. You're completely overwhelmed and under-resourced, and you support work-to-rule action. There will be a fact sheet about industrial action uh, sent out soon. Um, yeah, most concerningly, he said, in no stage is any proposal put forward around salary included consideration or reference to the significant issues you continue to face on behalf of government, including escalating crime, increased alcohol abuse, critical understaffing, the more than 10% attrition rate, or the exorbitant cost of living pressures will continue to fight for a fair fair deal. Yeah, so, yeah, this is going on. I mean, while they've got problems. And McHugh called a crisis before just last year. Would it be fair to say, Chris, that the uh, NT Police Union boss has taken a a much more aggressive stance in recent months on everything? Um, it's hard to say because it's really weird because it's like right after the role thing in late 2019 and early 2020, he was pretty critical of Chalker and he was yeah. out there bashing everybody. And then something happened and he stopped yeah. talking about Chalker and he was like forced into doing that member survey last year about the no confidence vote. Yeah. So yeah, he's coming around. I mean, yeah, they didn't want to put anything in about Chalker. He's made a few comments about Chalker here and there, but I think only when he was talking about the inquest. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, he's gonna he's been throwing dirt on the uh, government for a long time. That seems to be yeah. his favorite one, hitting the minister and uh, yeah. public employment commissioner. That's a soft target. Yeah, well, yeah, well, she's not the the, the cop who's trained here, but uh, yeah. Anyway, I don't know, but he's yeah, he's 
going to have to show that he's doing more here for everybody at this point because you want to see them get some sort of deal. And uh, it's just not good for territorians given the, the current climate that you've got industrial action being planned and yeah. what that's going to mean. And they don't have enough officers. And we know that the, like, the attrition rate is 10%, that he said, like uh, annual. Like that's 160 yeah. leaving every year. You're not going to get that many recruited in a year and then it's troubling who they are recruiting too and the training and, the, <laughs> and then, I, I was going to say it's all well and good to uh, recruit new ones but we know that the uh, tra- the training's been questioned of late as well oh man yeah yeah uh, yeah it's just a bad scene if you sit and think about it for long enough the police really yeah. are in a mess right now and yeah. it needs such strong and decisive leadership to, to fix it that it's just not going to happen currently right now. And I just, I'm just going to say this, and because I'm just a little pissed off about the whole Mark Casey thing, and I, and I just think if I could ask Kate Warden a question, if I got into a press conference and she didn't kick me out, I would say, <laughs> I would say to her, just how many more good police officers do we have to leave so you can protect a bad one? Yeah. and a bad leader because that's what chalker is and then there's no way like i've said there's no way for him to fix the errors that he's made what he's done what what he's shown his troops that he won't stick up for them that he doesn't have their back that he's more important than them he takes no responsibility i was just in when i was in canada i, I think i was telling you that and the, the police chief in the, the city of calgary had a low morale issue and he owned and he said like i have to take responsibility for this this is on me i will fix this we never hear jamie chalker say things like that Mm -hmm. and and i just i just am worried with that 10 percent attrition rate and how many other and the 84 percent now have an exit strategy how many more good ones are we gonna lose so that this government can protect jamie chalker like it's just not worth it like if you sit back and you do an analysis of this uh, a risk analysis like it is so much easier pay him out whatever he wants just pay him out for the contract get him mm. gone so that we can keep some of these good cops so that they can move up a bit here take on more executive roles and you know it just makes sense but no one's going to be left by the time they sack chalk because it's coming whether he goes out in handcuffs or he goes out resigning it's going to happen and he's not going to be the commissioner for much longer so get rid of him now and save what you can save the furniture there and the anti police yeah, and if you do have to pay him out, um, just you know, far be it from me to tell you how to suck eggs. But there is two hundred and fifty million that you've got, you know, in the coffins, <laughs> cashing in a few bucks. Yeah, some of those dollars would be worth it. So then, then we get things actually done here in the police because you get yeah. rid of the manager there. Anyway, they don't. I don't know what it's going to take. Um, but here we are, man. It's just not going to get any better. No, look, let's get to this next story because, yeah. again, it seems everything's just fitting perfectly like a jigsaw puzzle on this episode. But uh, a former cop, MLA, who we mentioned earlier in the podcast, you might be able to figure out who it is, <laughs> uh, has referred police investigation into the Zach Rolf murder charge mm-hmm. to federal Attorney General and the Prime Minister's office saying that the whole investigation had a stench of corruption to it. That is as powerful as the term as I've heard, I reckon. Yeah, well, look, this is this is where we're at now, Pete. We've, we've come this, this far now. The, the, the trial started a year ago, like this week, right? And uh, uh, Rolf was eventually found by the Supreme Court jury to be not guilty 
of, of murder and manslaughter and the other charge they had there. Uh, we've since then been exposing everything that's gone on. I mean, first we had those notes from detectives that, that just revealed so much and, and Chalker's involvement, despite him saying he wasn't involved. Uh, we, we went from there and we've got, we had a, a redacted coronial draft report. We then got an unredacted uh, excerpt <laughs> from that draft coronial report yeah. or the finalized coronial report. So, uh, yeah, and look, what we see here is just more and more evidence every time that something's gone wrong here in this investigation. And in fact, as uh, as Mark Turner put it, put it this week when he said he was referring the police's handling of the Zach Ralph criminal investigation to federal authorities, he said, uh, look, this, this the latest stuff clearly shows it shows a manipulation of evidence, a failure to disclose relevant material as to witnesses uh, and the appearance, well, and to uh, the courts, really, because he, he withheld this report and the appearance of a perversion of justice. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, we talked about that. Now, basically what the latest one was, again, was that uh, the chalker at one stage, his office attempted to, well, they they did hide the the, the report, right? We got to just remember this, that the defense, we almost didn't even know about all of this because Jamie Chalker hit it and didn't give it to the defense team. And then somebody told the defense team, they subpoenaed it. He had it redacted. And we now have seen what's, what was redacted, but we had to, it took us a while and we exposed what was behind that too. And it's all not good. It was where the coronial investigators were, were had serious doubts of the criminal investigation with uh, the two use of force experts that they had. In fact, told them, don't use Barham, the local guy with the anti-police, who's the trainer at the college. Yeah. Do not use him. He, he's not qualified. He's got conflicts of interest. He's too ensconced in the investigation. There's just so many issues. He's just not qualified. Get somebody independent. You need somebody independent. And then Chalker's office comes in. We saw in the redacted, and the unredacted part. Uh, he comes in and he says, uh, you're not going to get anybody else because the National Union supported Rolf and so therefore you're not going to get so don't bother trying anyone I already tried somebody in New South Wales and they said no well I mean it just shows his office was involved again in the investigation and telling them not to use this so I mean it all comes down to it appeared uh, ultimately that they didn't have the evidence to go to trial so they had people experts quote-unquote experts who were not qualified or were manipulated and put pressure Mm -hmm. on to to create evidence for them so that's that's where we are to basically build that murder case uh, around their narrative, uh, and that, that that they weren't provided all of the forensic evidence before filing their reports. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's just crazy. So uh, Turner Turner got that. I guess he's seen some documents. He says on Monday that the revelations from the unredacted report quote, gives rise to more, yet more questions than answers. He says this, and he's a cop. The role of investigators is to provide all information to the courts, both for and against, not to massage a case to suit a narrative. This further release of information only deepens the murkiness of the investigation and leaves the stench of corruption on our highest appointments. Yeah. Really, I mean, that's just as damning as it gets. And I presume, Chris, that he's going to have a lot more information available to him than we have. And for him to say that as an ex-cop himself, mm-hmm. that 
that you know, yeah. it, it shows there's something there, right? Yeah, he knows how this works. And and one of the things he was pointing to, um, yeah, I don't mean just some of the stuff about how they've just led that investigation. He's called that all into question. But I think the documents have shown this is not a normal investigation. And what Turner pointed to was the uh, recently struck judicial inquiry in the ACT into allegations the police there attempted to influence DPP over charges related to the highly publicized Brittany Higgins case. Yeah. know what's happening down there with that yeah, yeah. now and and he said look they understand this is an example of the need to restore faith in our judicial systems that yeah. when these questions about integrity come up about police and about law uh, about the courts uh, judicial officers that that the faith and confidence is restored and we were talking about that last week and we've just do nothing here in the NT. i mean that territory that they seem to get it um, that you need to restore that confidence, and we just we just let it go. We just yeah okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we get back yeah. to what Turner said in Parliament today, right? Like yeah. he's making some pretty serious allegations of things, and nobody knows where to go with anything anymore. Like is the ICAC's office compromised? I just don't think the man has the ability to investigate. But is it compromised? I mean, that's what he's bringing up here. We haven't seen anything to suggest otherwise. Um, I, I just don't know where we go anymore. Like what we do, so. We need the federal police coming in. I mean, what he's doing is good in the sense that he's referred this now to the Attorney General Mark Dreyfus and Prime Minister Anthony Albanese. He said, quote, drawing their attention to the events in the Northern Territory, which are sadly in no way isolated from our broader issues more widely reported in the national media. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there is an upside to that, of course, too, Chris, because Albo was in the Territory. Was just, just here. Yeah. yeah things. With something else. Now he's getting something else on his desk. He must be thinking, what is going on with these numbats? Uh, yeah, I think that you're right. And it's a good time. Yeah, my, maybe the timing is good here that they take Effort note now. Yeah, yeah, that they take note of this place finally and all of our problems. Like that's one, yeah. Alice Springs, Central Australia. That's bad, but we got other problems. And they're all, you know, they all cause these problems that we're seeing. They all lead to the yep. deterioration of the public institutions and the systems in place, therefore the social programming. You yep. know, we're talking about fundamentals like police and the justice system being compromised and having their integrity questioned. That, that needs to be fixed. We already know our government. Nobody trusts them with anything. <laughs> but here now we have police and we have the judiciary. And uh, as soon as questions come up about the integrity and people start having doubts about that, somebody's got to act on this. Like, uh, I'm surprised yeah. the judge hasn't come out and said anything on this at this point. You know, I think that's one of the strengths of this whole thing is because Mark Turner's part of the government, he might be sidelined or isolated, but he's part of the, the Labor NT government. Yeah. 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 It's him saying this about his own people. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that carries some some resonance in, in, in Canberra with, well, okay, well, here's a guy with the party. And he's saying this. Um, Lamley, of course, uh, did make comment on this as well. Now she supported she that his call. She said that beggars belief why the anti-police commissioner would go to such length to nail Constable Zachary Rolfe. Hiding reports, redacting information, manipulating and controlling expert evidence, ignoring legal advice, and wasting significant public money. Is this how our anti-police service functions at the highest level? This is a scathing indictment of Chalker's pitiful legacy as the anti-police commissioner. Eh? Um, it's, it's pretty damning words. And and when I read that, I wondered, 
Uh, are we so bold as to uh, expect a response from the police commissioner? Because, yes, I mean, I've been someone comes... Versions, but... <laughs> Do you hear back? <laughs> yeah, he's not going to respond to me. But it's all there when, yeah. when, when it all comes to trial, when he's finally held accountable or somebody is for this. Like, it's all going to come out. Um, you know, there, there's other issues here at play, too, like the DPP, right? Like, you know, how did they go along with this? They basically said, don't use this guy. Don't use that guy. Get an independent yeah. person. And then went along with it. So we've gone to then Deputy DPP Matthew Nathan. Um, who had provided that advice, he declined to comment or explain why the DPP used an unqualified use of force expert at the murder trial that he had specifically <laughs> advised against. Yeah. He resigned in June 21, just weeks before the murder trial was originally scheduled to begin. I'm not saying that was for any reason. That's just what happened. Smart and the other man. guy went with them, the, the head DPP. Uh, now, Peggy Dwyer, again, also refused to comment, uh, despite relying on the same anti-police use of force expert, Barham, who originally been rejected by the DPP and discredited at the trial, but she let him provide coroner Elizabeth Armitage with evidence during the inquest about Rolf's use of force the night he fatally shot Kuman Jai Walker. This guy was discredited, roundly, roundly found not to be uh, up to that task of being an expert and, and clearly wasn't. And yet counsel assisting let him just give his evidence. Step right up. Yeah. And uh, we know Riches started in March or he stated in March 2022, nearly a year ago, that he had launched an investigation into the decision to charge Rolf with murder amid allegations of political interference. But it's unclear if that inquiry will explore actions that occurred after the laying of the charge. I'd gone back on the Friday to have a look at that, and the way he worded that was ambiguous. So it seemed like it was just the four days between when the shooting happened and when Rolf was charged. But what we've seen is this kind of alleged misconduct happened in the days after that. And, you know, they were still looking for guys in January. That shooting was November, right? In January, that's when they're trying to get uh, these experts and, and where Chalker's office is influencing how that works. So um, I, I hope, I really hope we need somebody to come in and look at this. Like I'm saying, like, where do we go? Uh, and now the guy said in the editorial on the weekend, I, frankly, I don't have uh, confidence in and Michael Rich's ability and capacity to investigate the police commissioner for something this serious. I just don't. And then we, mm -hmm. we heard what was said tonight in parliament, but I just, this guy's more about, you know, he wants to just educate public servants and teaching lessons and stuff. And I, I don't have time for that. And Derek Torrance don't anymore. And I, I told him that a while ago when he started, like, look, the, the education stuff's great, but uh, we're past that point here. <laughs> I know you're new here, but everyone knows <laughs> what corruption is yeah, here and they've been doing it for a long time and they know give us a, a scalp big fella yeah yeah and nothing and still nothing right. he's still putting on ridiculous things this week um which i just ignore i've just tuned him out at this point like dude like why why do we care you know what he did today he put out he put out a oh man he put out a he put out a report he calls it a report but it's just raw data of the amount of complaints that the office of the ICAC received since it started in December, 2018. Okay. But it's just like here, 141 complaints from this department, 132 from this department. And then he says at the beginning, I read the thing and I'm like, okay, this is something good. Like where we're no, no. 
there's nothing in there. It's like, I don't even, there's no context. He doesn't even provide context. Is this a lot or is mm-hmm. it a little? He says at the end of his introduction, I think this is a learning time for agencies to determine what the perceptions are and what they can do to improve or not improve on the number of complaints they're getting about misconduct. I was like, oh my God, man. Wow. Oh, you just so got to go somewhere else, guy. It's so we get the here. top level numbers about how many, um, <laughs> like how many complaints have been filed, but nothing else with it, as in no resolved or yeah, yeah. no, right? No, wow. it, it, it makes no sense. Like it just, like, I just don't wow. understand. Oh, it's just that's pretty heavy. Crazy. Hey, stuff. just on um, just on the uh, report that you mentioned before. Uh, we obviously talked about that pretty heavily on last week's episode. So if if you're listening to this and you're not too sure what we talked about, you can listen to the uh, last weekend's with Bolshe uh, titled The Report, formerly known as Redacted. <laughs> Someone was called that. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. I thought that was uh, – I was inspired <laughs> by a bit of Prince in that. <laughs> Excellent. But I mean, it is it is an interesting listen because yeah. Uh, yeah, when you think about what what information you had originally got versus mm-hmm. what you found out when you got that unredacted report, that's crazy. Yeah, it's just it just yeah, you just shake your head and you're like, oh my god, when is somebody going to do something here and restore yeah. the public's confidence? Yeah, yeah. And surely it's it's going to happen soon. It's coming any day, Chris. Stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. Um, look, let's move on to the next story because we talk a lot about the uh, 40 billion economy by 2030. I'm starting to think it's minus 40, but you know, we'll get to that. Because yeah. this week, um, another poorly kept secret, and that is that the Sea Farms Group have finally pulled the plug on the Project Sea Dragon. Yeah. Oh, look, we'll we'll be we'll be looking at, at all of this in kind of greater detail and broader perspective for maybe a more narrow perspective on all the major projects that have now just blown yeah. up in the face yeah. of what was the Gunner government and is now Gunner Part Two government, the files years we'll call it or something. Um yeah. because it still is Gunner. Uh anyway. Sea <laughs> Farms Group's yeah, $1.5 billion flagship development project, Sea Dragon, uh, put into voluntary administration after almost 10 years of capital raising uh, and amid speculation about its viability, but also uh, after millions in NT taxpayer subsidies were spent on the project. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and this is where, you know, those questions to government come up. What due diligence did you do? Right. We mm-hmm. know from NT beverages, they don't like doing due diligence uh, beforehand and just millions, millions, millions. So like what they've done in this case, and, and I think everyone's familiar with this one. Uh, this is uh, well, I should explain first. So Sea Farms uh, did move to place the project into voluntary administration. It came after the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors determined that $13.9 million was owed by Sea Farms following the suspension of work. Uh, in December 2021, and later termination of contracts. The aquaculture giant also requested that ASX suspend trading of its shares immediately since it would be prejudicial to an efficient administration process. Uh, Yeah, it said the Project Sea Dragon, uh, the board resolved that it was no longer in the best interest of the company to continue to fund the development. So, as we said, it was once toted by the NT Labor government as a key plank to grow the NT's economy to $40 billion. 
by 2030. Uh, the NT government now spent $56 million on the project, including uh, $32.2 million to upgrade Gunpoint Road to two-lane sealed standard to the entrance of the project site, the road to nowhere. $7 million to provide access road to the point Ceylon by no harbor site and 17.5 million to upgrade the Keep River Plains Road. And that was mm-hmm. to maintain your round access between Kununara and Lagoon Station, which was the proposal. It was going to be over on the on the WA border side. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, this is um was going to be the biggest like prawn farming operation in the world. Sea Farms uh, was rumored to be seeking a buyer for the entirety of parts of the business last year. A net loss of $75 million, the parent company uh, announced. So it just wasn't bit Like, how, what, what are the processes in place by the government to look into this stuff and see if it's realistic? I think that they mm. get they get duped a lot here. Where's their business plan, for example, Chris? <laughs> yeah, well, this is maybe a question that they should be asking. I, <laughs> I just don't know. And like, you know, Eva Lawler came out today and, and said something stupider yesterday about how well, we can't close the door. That's what we do. We facilitate this stuff. And then there's a risk. And sure, there's a risk to everything. But she said, we're not going to review our processes over this. <laughs> but I mean, so you've got this, you've got the I sun cable, you've got cloth <laughs> with the with the ship lift, right, following through. Yeah. Like, how yeah. did you do the due diligence on that one before you appointed them? to be managing the project? And there's there's so yeah. much, like, we're, we're going to get into it more of, like, all the different projects have fallen through. Um, and look, sometimes that happens. But, but it's not just you know, like fallen through, though, right? Falling through and going into administration. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's, yeah. there's, there's a bit of a difference between, oh, look, it just wasn't viable, we shut it down. Yeah. Then we've got, mount, we've got huge debts and someone else is going to come and have to figure out the, the maze of what, what needs to be figured out. Yeah, and you would think uh, the loss was about $25 million, uh, 2020-21. So back when they yeah. were really toting it, they should have been concerned, the government, that they had lost $25 million <laughs> that year. And then the next year, 21-22, they lost $85 million. Like, and, then you and say, so, whoa, wait a second. And so at some point in that uh, article, you used the term aquaculture giant. But <laughs> I, I'm questioning whether they were an aquaculture giant. Or uh, I want to be. Well, sea farms have had other projects, from what <laughs> we understand. But this, yeah, but the sea dragon was who was doomed. I yeah, think here, and, uh, yeah, it just didn't make sense when they lined it all up. But the government's got to be doing that before pumping our tens of millions of dollars of our money into this kind of stuff. Well, I very much look forward to the article that um, shows a rundown of what <laughs> the things were that. We're going to contribute to this economy and what's actually left because it just seems one after another keeps falling down like a 10 pin. Yeah. Yeah. And and look, we don't want to see that. We want to see no, we don't. these things happen. And then, but I just like, you just got to shake your head. Like, what the hell is going on here? And yeah, like I said, why aren't we doing this? Maybe we got to do smaller than this, bigger than what's costing us. Yeah. A bunch yeah, of little I think things. That was what you said on the news bites about, look, Maybe don't try and take on these mega projects, which, to be honest, the NT is not really known for. No. Take on some ones that are – It's look, you can say you want a $40 billion economy all you want, but it's a bit like the you don't teach a kid to run no. before they start walking. Yeah. So, you know. Well, I guess that they thought they were growing up after impacts. 
right? Because Impex was major. Like that was huge. That was like just unheard of that it would come yeah. here. But that's like it is like a once in a correct 100, 200, 300 years yeah. thing. Like, and it was a perfect storm in many yeah. ways. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, and, and really, most of that was teed up beforehand. Yeah. So, and I'm okay with thinking big and taking risks and all of that. But like, let's be realistic for what we do. And if those things stack up, then let's do it. But when they're clearly not stacking up, we got to look at what does stack up. That's all. And also, I'm I'm not happy with you dumping fifty six million dollars mm. of taxpayers' money and then going. Oh, and by the way, we're not looking into our procedures. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. Like I said, that's what kind of triggered us and Woody and I were having a chat. Woody really was set off by that comment that really agitated him. And uh, I said, yeah, no, yeah, you're right. So anyway, yeah, we're going to just go and have a look. We'll talk about that and her dumb comments. She's great at those faux pas where, yeah, she just reminded me of like Elfrink at this point when he would start going, you knew he'd say something stupid eventually. And uh and she's just the same. You hear her in Parliament and you think, oh, you better listen because she's going somewhere and she doesn't know where she's going. Um, yeah, like the KFC one. Remember the $40 billion economy? <laughs> wow, we got a new KFC. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. there'll be more. But, yeah, it's ridiculous. It's it's like the uh, political equivalent of no backsies when you say things like that. <laughs> yeah. All right, look, let's move on to the next story because, uh, well, this is another interesting one. Nicole Madison has said no to the Parliament grog ban due to the high standards being set by <laughs> Labor staffers. <laughs> yeah, I laughed out loud when I was listening to the debate in the House yeah, and she got yeah. up to talk about this and I thought, oh, okay, what's she going to say? And then she starts talking about high standards of the Labor Party and the staff and responsible behaviour. It actually might have been a play on words when you think about it because we know the fifth floor. Yeah, did there. <laughs> yeah, I did think about that. I think when I was falling asleep <laughs> last night, and I laughed. But uh, yeah, good point. Um, I don't think that's what she was getting at. But I think, uh, yeah, Lamley should have probably said, "Well, um, and maybe ban the cocaine when you get around to it," <laughs> because the allegations were there. Gunner said he knew about the allegations of cocaine use. I look. I just the the high standards and the responsible behavior. Uh, to me, for a party that was defending a pedophile and uh allegations of illicit drug use up there that these guys that there's no high standards here now i i'll explain this a little bit more though like uh, robin lamley introduced this bill and i thought she explained it quite well uh she basically said look it's a it's a symbolic booze ban in parliament house in solidarity with territorians affected by the newly reinstated alcohol bans across the NT's remote communities and town camps she said, there are so many alcohol restrictions imposed on our fellow Territorians. And in fact, last night, the legislation that was passed means that once again, we have alcohol prohibition across more than 90% of the geographical area of the Northern Territory. This is a profound issue for us, but a very small ask that we put this alcohol restriction on us, that we say that we are no more important than our friends and family living in the Northern Territory, our colleagues, our neighbors, we are exactly the same. If we impose alcohol restrictions on them, then surely it is reasonable to put alcohol restrictions on ourselves. This is about this is about a symbolic gesture saying to Territorians, we are with you. Um, yeah, and the response to me, Chris, was a yeah. slap in the face to all of them yeah. and, and such an example of how out of touch things really got 
because it's not about the fact that you set the high standards inside <laughs> Parliament House and that you bloody rock stars. The fact is that alcohol is a massive problem in the Northern Territory. Yeah. The bans have been rolled out, as Robin said, covering 90% of the geographical area of the NT. Mm -hmm. What, is it so hard that you can't say no to a beer in Parliament House? You can't go home and have it? Yeah. How out of touch is that? Yeah. Yeah. No, and that's what I said. I think Robin just really nailed that and said, yeah, this is symbolic. This is saying that we're with you to all the other territorials out there. And uh, Madison gets up and says, it's a complex issue. <laughs> so she really it's said that. <laughs> I'm not joking. It's generational. Yeah. She said alcohol the is complexity a complex the complexities, issue. right? Yeah. And suggesting that everyone in Parliament House works real hard. So she said everyone in Parliament House works hard and does their best for Territorians. This is a place, like most workplaces in Australia, that does have very high standards when it comes to behavior. This isn't a place where people can just knock off and have a beer in the middle of the day. Now, come yeah, on. Your your, point. Yeah, and this is, anyway, where people can have a few drinks and then walk into this chamber. You tell the CLP boys. Didn't the previous speaker have a BWS amount lined up in her office? Yeah, yeah, like tens of thousands. She was doing like an over $1,000 booze run every yeah. week, um, yeah. every couple of days. Yeah, Boatshed Bay, the member for Boatshed Bay there. Uh, it's, yeah, uh, yeah, what did she say? And I will say that I have not seen that sort of behavior. It's not the type of behavior. Territorians can be very assured about the conduct of what they see in this building. I I cannot oh believe God. she said that. I think what I would say is that we can give Territorians assurances that we do see responsible behavior in this place. Uh, <laughs> so oh completely God. missing the point of the symbolism. Oh, oh, as we pointed out, Gunner hired a toxic workplace specialist in 2019 to investigate offices while he was aware of widespread allegations of illicit drug use among staffers. That was only made public after Labor's so-called cocaine sex scandal and allegations of a drug and alcohol-fueled sex romp on election night in 2020. Last February, a federal Labor staffer and president of the Labor's youth wing resigned for, after video snorting a white substance. Gunner came under fire in 2021 under uh, after rejecting calls to drug test politicians and their staffers, despite calling for police officers to submit to regular testing. Uh, yeah, and Labor <laughs> rejected a motion brought by the CLP to drug test politicians and staff that month. You know, point that yeah. out too. They don't want to be drug tested, and they, uh, they want they're their not booze. only banning alcohol, they're also not consenting to drug testing, <laughs> and they want their booze. Yeah, but Chris, as you were talking, then I know I've mentioned this once already, but you know, sometimes it's the title of the episode that's that's you know the hard bit, mm. but I've got an embarrassment of riches. <laughs> this episode because that should be one when we really take the ICAC <laughs> down an embarrassment of riches just save that for the for the bank <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking just listening to what you're talking about then and the fact that two major stories on this episode have featured the person that you just referred to in the cocaine sex scandal this is some sort of a redemption story <laughs> I love it yeah. <laughs> yeah that's it man um <laughs> yeah Oh, so many good titles. Um, yeah, so anyway, look, but that's where we are with that. They just said no, they shut it down, and Lamley can 
So the booze is set to flow freely still in Parliament House. The river, rivers of grog to the fifth floor of Parliament <laughs> House continue. Yeah. Uh, fair enough. Look, let's move to the next story. Uh, this is an interesting one because the uh, Beetaloo Basin has been mentioned a lot over recent years, but mm-hmm. CSIRO have come out and said that the Beetaloo Basin Carbon Offsets Report suggests carbon capture. Uh, and international offsets. I, I need you to explain this, but it, it's it's really quite interesting. <laughs> get David Wood on, but yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Oh, sorry about what's up. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm trying to pull this up here, and now my, my computer's not working. Um, so basically, yeah, what they're saying is that you bring in these carbon offsets. Now, CSIRO says you can do this in the Beetle Basin, but there's not enough internationally available right now to do it. Yeah. So now what the uh, the critics are saying here, though, is that they did. There is another guy who's come out who said, look, these are just grossly inflated. These numbers of uh, how much tonnage you can actually store. Uh, yeah. Even with the international offsets, it's just it's not going to happen now. <laughs> Questions raised. CSIRO again has come out defended it and it's been peer reviewed as checked. Um, but the, the questions always kind of come up about their funding and where that comes from. Now, the survey did have funding from industry. Um, uh, yeah, it was a detailed and complex report uh, by the CSIRO's Gas Industry Social and Environment Alliance researchers. Now, this alliance receives a third of its funding from the gas industry and the rest from government. So modeled greenhouse gas emissions from four different production scenarios that would be at the Beetaloo ranging from anywhere from 365 to 1130 petajoules a year, which would produce 6.6 million tons to 33 million tons of carbon dioxide per year, which is a compared to Australia's actual greenhouse gas emissions 12 months uh, to March of 487 million. So, I mean, yeah, that's that, those are huge numbers for a year, but we're, yeah, you, know, yeah. you know, if you're getting up to 33 million tons from Beetaloo, uh, yeah, with overseas emissions not included in the report's calculations now, uh, which it would be exported, of course, gas from Beetaloo and come up here. So they talk about different offset options and I encourage people to go and read that. Uh, it did not look at a cost benefit analysis or other economic analysis, the, the cost of carbon capture and other methods. Now, a lot of that is, and you've heard files talk about that they want to do carbon capture and storage here. It's still quite controversial in a lot of places. Uh, of course, industry says it is effective, um, reducing a proportion of the emissions from some polluting industries. But there have been failed projects across the world and plants that fail to meet their targets for greenhouse gas capture. And that's where they pump it right back into the ground. And I know people yeah, yeah. Australians are very uncomfortable with that kind of thing. And it's being talked now. I remember in Alberta and Canada the 10 years ago or more, uh, a lot of conversation at the time there. Uh, so, yeah, so you then had, um, let's see here, the former head of the Clean Energy Regulators Offsets Integrity Committee, Professor Andrew McIntosh told the ABC that in this instance, the CSIRO had got it wrong in their report, saying the level of pollution from Beetaloo Basin extraction uh, could be offset was demonstrable nonsense. I think it highlights all the problems with offsets that this sort of work is being used to allow and facilitate a gas development. They've come forward with estimates for the amount of emissions that can be offset that are grossly inflated. 
And uh, yeah, and that's the problem. I thought the word demonstrable was only used in job ads. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, this, yeah, so this guy's gotten into it. He said, I, I think what needs to happen here is that someone needs to do a proper peer review of this work, and probably someone <laughs> needs to redo the work in order to get a more robust abatement and the amount of offsets <laughs> that can be, that can really be generated in the Northern Territory and across the country more broadly. Uh, he said, I'm not an opponent of the gas industry and I'm not an opponent of offsets. What I like to see is offsets undertaken that are legitimate. This is nonsense. <laughs> uh, For those of you at home who are not familiar with the terminology that said fellow is using, he's calling BS on the figures <laughs> of yeah. supply. Yeah, and that, like, you know, when they when they do these offsets and stuff, it's well, Kirsty Howie from the Environmental Center, Center uh, NT came out and said it could cost up to a billion dollars a year to offset those 33 million tons of carbon. She's the same one that the government called a liar, isn't she? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right, about what's going on at the <laughs> middle arm where they're going to do the carbon capture and sequestration right. stuff. But yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so look, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of figures in the store and stuff. Um but it is interesting because of what's going on there, middle arm, where we're going to see this in Beetaloo yeah. heating up now and a decision expected pretty soon. On, um, hey, on if she's speaking, I'd be listening because everything she said so far has been the out and out truth for mine. Yeah, absolutely. No, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think we, we had to get, didn't we talk about who's more credible in this? Like <laughs> Natasha Fowles or her or Kirsty Howe? It's, it's Kirsty Howe. She's more credible than Fowles. Every day of the week. Yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> Yep, so that'll be interesting. There'll be more coming on that in the days and weeks ahead with Beetaloo heating up. Excellent. Well, Chris, I do have a job files job of the week for us. I don't have an intro, though, but I will get one at some point in the future. Excellent. I thought this was interesting because of the job that we advertised last week for some marketing manager guru in the government paying about 200 and something thousand dollars. Darwin City Council this week is offering a manager of a property portfolio role, which is obviously a pretty intense role managing properties, etc. for the um, Darwin City Council. Um, I guess they own property and buildings and so forth around the city and around Darwin, mm -hmm. and this person's role will be to manage those. It's, it's a pretty intense role with uh, a lot of um, requirements, including tertiary qualifications in commercial property management or relevant experience, three this years. Is, yeah. Sorry, mate. Sorry, this, and this is for the city of Darwin? Maybe? Yeah, for the city of Darwin. Mm. And it's it's paying $125,000 to $130,000 a year, which really for that type of role is, I mean, it's not a huge salary. I'm not saying it's small. I'm not saying that, you know, that Darwin City Council is doing the wrong thing. I guess I'm just showing the inequity between the role last week, which yeah. would have a lot less involved than this particular role would. And this is paying, you know, a hundred or up to 130 grand a year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, we I shouldn't be surprised though, should we? <laughs> no, that's terrible. But then like the anti government will poach them. Exactly. Yeah, they'll they'll run half an asset somewhere for two hundred grand a year. <laughs> I honestly thought you were going to tell me that the job of the week was a, uh, a shoe giver at the bowling alley at Monsoons. <laughs> now that's uh, a job. <laughs> no, 
I wasn't, but what I wanted you to do was to talk about the new bowling alley at, at Monster. <laughs> <laughs> I really thought that that was the job of the week, and I thought, yeah. Well, it is, but it's a, it's a um, it's more of a ceremonial role than a paid one. <laughs> well, they need someone spraying those shoes. They're not going to spray themselves, Pete. They're going to not. I think they use powder though these days, don't they? Do they? Why do they? They still rely on the talcum powder. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's expensive. Last time I went, maybe bowling. not. But we should talk about it because it is a funny story. The uh, iconic Darwin nightclub, aka Monsoons, is looking to expand into the gutter. With new bowling lanes. <laughs> yeah. Or they're expanding the gutter where people come out of monsoons and fall into the gutter. Rolling. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, so this was um, a bit surprising, I think. And a lot of people were like, what the hell? Um, but yeah, according to an alterations and expansion proposal, proposal submitted by Masterplan on TM on behalf of monsoons, uh, it revealed the nightclub seeking to renovate its first floor level. And so I was a little confused with that when I first read the story. And I thought, well, wait, what? I thought that's what they were doing. But yeah, it was explained to me that it's so they're on the currently on the ground floor when you go on. Ah. There. But they, there is a first floor. And they're saying, according to this, okay. that it is concrete, a concrete slab that comes across. Yeah. That what they're doing is they want to expand essentially up there. Uh, it would be a proposed bar area. Uh, but then this is the kind of odd part was that there'd be four bowling lanes installed, two on wow. each side of it. Wow. One full size for league play, I guess, and the other one for fun times. Uh, it was, uh, what was that called? The uh, reduced size lanes, two reduced size lanes and two full size bowling lanes for league play, Walter. Is that some code for people that aren't full height? Reduce <laughs> yeah, size lanes. Yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, yeah, I don't. I've been there to monsoons. I I can't imagine that there was space. But I guess when they you open up this new thing, you didn't sit there and think to yourself, "I know what this place needs." <laughs> yeah, I'm <laughs> um, Yeah, so two lanes on either side. Now the alterations and additions uh, will enlarge the main area, but uh, but it is kind of giving it double the space almost using that concrete slab uh, as its mm. first floor. Uh, and a lift proposed for use between the ground and first floor and high chair seating in the new area for 180 seats and quote, a bar that doubles as a shoe hire facility. <laughs> so that's why I was like, yeah, that's a good job. And listen, uh, if you are part of this project to put the bowling lanes into monsoons, I would highly encourage you to put rubber walls in as well. Because <laughs> I think, Nothing goes better than copious amounts of alcohol. Yeah. And whatever that bloody solid ball weighs, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they are kind of asking for trouble, right? And Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. I'm thinking, I'm thinking in about six to 12 months after it opens, the lead story in the NT Independent is going to involve some sort of violence in a bowling ball and nightclub. <laughs> you don't become iconic without having some violent episodes at your bar. <laughs> iconic but you know we, we were saying here though that currently darwin does only have one bowling alley now whether or not that's i don't know if people are going to go there just to bowl or what I don't, I don't know but we currently only have one at kingpin and eaton there but 
Because yeah, the Narcliffe one closed down, yeah, so maybe that, maybe that old crew will now head into monsoons. Yeah, that's yeah. the league play stuff. Yeah, after Planet yeah. Tenpen closed in Nightcliffe in 21, 2021. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, yeah. So most importantly, what makes you qualify uh, to be iconic? Well, that's what I said. you got to have some incidents happen. Oh, that's the incident. <laughs> well, like every police press release when it's a Mitchell Street establishment. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be monsoons. Yeah, but isn't that more infamous than iconic? <laughs> yeah, no, well, that, that depends. I think you, then you're the, who owns it. <laughs> That's when it becomes infamous. It's, well, then it comes notorious. <laughs> <laughs> that That is right. That is right, Pete. <laughs> straight after that comes a name change. <laughs> <laughs> Uh yeah, well, it is a notorious, uh, uh, yeah, iconic nightclub. Mm. Yeah, we will put that all together. But it is it is owned by Australian venue company, and so this proposal right. now went on exhibition on January thirtieth and closed on February third. Works expected to begin in a single stage once all the permits are obtained. I'm not really sure mm. on a, a time frame for that, but uh, yeah, time to go Based on other building approvals, uh, a la Bellamac. <laughs> Whether it's got a concrete floor or not, it's irrelevant. Yeah, you just don't know. You got to ask these questions, right? Until public's yeah. confidence is restored. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, Chris, let's hope it's restored by next week, but I doubt it will be. So, no doubt I'll be talking to you again on Small the next step. episode. Yeah, Pete. All right. We'll see you next week. That was Chris Walsh from the NT Independent Online newspaper. Weekends with Walshy back again next week on the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition. We'll catch you then. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms or go to TerritoryStory.com. The Territory Story Podcast. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.